live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And also joining us in studio, the other co-host. He is the senior sports editor of the ODPH Podcast. He is your coach. He is my coach. He is the coach, period. Coach Duffy. I survived the trade deadline, and nothing came of it. Yeah, that was shocking. So, little depressing, not much to touch on. I'll talk about it later. Absolutely. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about in the land of sports, movies, TV, comics, pro wrestling. You name it, this is what the ODPH is all about. So definitely make sure you're following us on social media to continue the conversation after this great podcast. You can find all our links for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Podchaser, TikTok, Twitch, you name it. Tout. We if, have it, a, if it's still around. We, we have a tout somewhere, so that's would be a search you'll have to do, but only if you swing by OchoDuroParlayHour.com, and always remember to use the hashtag ODPHPod. So that being said, we're going to kick off this edition of the ODPH Podcast talking about Disney Plus's newest hit, Falcon Mighty and the Winter Ducks? Soldier. I've oh. heard, I've no, I've heard good things about the Mighty yeah. Ducks. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll give it, a, I'll give it a touch in, our, in my one tot, one one shot because I did watch it. So I, I have some takes. Oh, okay. Yeah, Interesting. I actually, yeah, I, uh, I did. I, I checked it out. I'll definitely want to hear about that. But for right now, though, the king of the mouse network. Oh, the other thing that's going on, sure. Yes. <laughs> is obviously the continuation of the story of the mantle of Captain America post-Avengers Endgame. So we are going to be talking spoilers about episode two titled The Star Spangled Man in three, two, one. Pad. What did you think? I love the episode. Uh, I thought it was really great uh, from start to finish. A lot of ramifications, a lot of interesting stuff uh, introduced in this episode, and I'm really excited to discuss it and see where it goes from here. Coach, what did you think? I have the same take as Pat. I thought this episode had a lot of finer nuances and a lot of subtle things that if you weren't paying attention or if you were overlooking, you missed a great episode because there was a lot of things in the details of this episode that are going to pay a lot of dividends moving forward. And I, yeah, I, the banter between the two of them, their relationship, the dynamic, the whole thing, a hell of an episode. This definitely was a great episode. I think it was a lot stronger than the first one. I think that they did a little more character development because as much as I like to bash the U.S. agent, because I'm not a fan of him in the comic books, Wyatt Russell brought that character to life in all his oozing snarkiness and overconfidence. Deep-seatedness. Darkness, yeah. Yeah, because if you're not familiar with the new Captain America, mm-hmm. God, that hurts saying. Yeah. The U.S. agent is a very polarizing character in comics. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't too versed with him myself, but I watched a couple videos uh, on YouTube kind of explaining the character's history and where he's been and what he's gone through. And it seems like we're getting, you know, we're getting a little bit of that in the in the show you know it's not just gonna be oh hey we're gonna introduce him and we're just gonna use him throughout the thing like it seems like we're gonna get a bit of a full run of his character i fear we are 
And it makes sense for the story, but albeit it's going to differ away from the comic. But I definitely want to recommend everybody read the comic, and you'll understand what this character's significance is. Because it was a changing point for the Captain America mythos, and obviously it can show you with great power needs to come great responsibility. Otherwise, you have just... That's Spider-Man. I know it is, but it's all Marvel. <laughs> same connected. It's, it's the same house, but... Sure. Same church, different pew. Exactly. But it can show you how it can go wrong in a very, very quick instant. Yeah. But but as this episode kicks off, we see the U.S. agent is having a pep rally to announce that he's the new Captain Good America. Good Morning America, too. Well, I will say, Sun tells me it's not him having a pep rally, that it's the government and, and the powers that be. You know, Because they could have just as easily done this... Like, you know, if you've ever seen Good Morning America in the middle of Times Square with the crowd around him and like they've just as easily could have done that. But something tells me that this was like the powers that be in the the military going, no, we got to roll out the red, white and blue carpet for this. Well, also, normally Good Morning America is shot and filmed in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that was a little weird that it was at night. But yeah. that's just, you know, that's just something I took away. You know, no, no, I, mean, I, I agree with you, too. That threw me off for a little bit. Especially like, since they're in Georgia. So it's not like, oh, this is time being, difference. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah. This isn't like it's, you know, somebody's out in L.A. and it's like four in the morning or something. No, like same time zone, my guy. Now, yeah. I did watch uh, one of the YouTube videos that kind of break down the episode in a little more detail and they talked about the subtleness of this scene in particular with the pep rally being similar to when they introduced cap in the movie how he was holding pep rallies albeit a little bit different because it was obviously in war times but Mm -hmm. this was more of like uh trying to hold a pep rally to introduce him in in a positive manner but then also the song that was playing that the band was playing was an updated version of cap song that they would perform while he was doing his his shtick i thought i thought that it it sounded vaguely familiar it sounded familiar great catch on that because i was like i know i've heard this before but well because when i heard i was like fuck that's a that's got rhythm and then when the guy pointed it out in the video i go no shit side note my son hated the song so little tidbit there he did not was not a fan of the song did like the episode though well, he might have just hated the character, <laughs> John Walker, because as we see from when he's going back in his high school locker to just reminiscing about like what this mantle means, he gets on there with the reporter and he gives a whole made-up spiel. Of yeah. how, well, alleged made up. I well, mean, I was I say, well, he says, you know, I think there was some truth in what he said. There might have been some truth, but I was like, oh, this is so PR written. It's not even it's, funny. It's just funny when she brought up his MIT, like all of his testing scores, and he's he just changed subjects so fast. Yes, yeah. like it was like, oh, well, you you tested off the charts in every category possible. But you know, hey, I don't want to talk about that. I I don't have superpowers. Uh, I want to talk about something, and then he just changes the subject right off of that. I wonder why. Yes, because there's a lot more to his character than meets the eye but the one so he's a transformer he, he quite possibly could be because i will say the one line that, that threw me off is or just got me all wound up is like well he's like well i felt like steve rogers was like a brother to me and i'm like oh you stop oh, you dirty s- you stop right dirty. now because everybody knows you stole the shield from sam wilson aka the falcon aka anthony Mackey, who played him again brilliantly as they're now searching out the story behind the Flag Smashers. Uh-huh. And now he is teaming up with Bucky Barnes. Who just showed up. Yeah, the, the Winter Soldier. <laughs> Out of nowhere, just all of a sudden randomly Who's, popped up at the hangar. Well, well, I guess he finally answered uh, Sam's text messages and phone calls. Yeah. Well, once he sees that the shield has now been given to somebody else, Bucky yeah, has got a lot of questions. Him, yeah. Yes, which rightfully so because Sebastian oh, yeah. Stan obviously played this right to the T because with Bucky seeing what that shield represents and to his best friend in the entire world – 
to see it given away to some stranger, he is like, what are you doing? Yeah, and I mean, Sam's trying to have his cake and eat it too, it feels like, because there's that scene when he goes down the stairs and his attache buddy is tagging along with him, and there's the the posters up on the wall where it's like, oh, meet the new Captain America. And you can tell he's he's disgusted by it. He's like, just for A... All the BS reasons and the political and the red tape reasons be that it, you know, he's replacing his friend. But it's like, my guy, you could have taken that mantle up and run with it, but you chose not to. Yeah. But I, but I also respect the uh, Bucky's viewpoint of it too, like you guys are saying, because, uh, you know, yeah, Rod, Steve was his friend, so he knows what that, how much it meant to him to be able to become Captain America and all the the. You know, just like the nightmare that that Rogers went through to become this person, and what it meant to him to be the person, um, you know, and and what Bucky, what Captain America means to him, because it gave him a second life, mm-hmm. a second chance on life. So without Steve, you know, he'd still be the Winter Soldier, a mindless yeah. soldier, you know, yeah. a killing machine. Um, so for him, that's what that. But I understand where his point of view, um, uh, Falcon's point of view, was coming from it too, because it's like. I, you know, I don't know if I could have lived up to the crest of the Captain America, you know, and all that that weighs on it. I mean, think about like with in like the NBA, like, oh, yeah. you know, everybody's like, oh, you're the next Jordan, you're the next Jordan. Mm-hmm. Like, and that mantle is so big for people to fill that, you know, LeBron finally was like, I'm not the next Michael, I'm the next me. Like, you can't, you just can't fill those shoes. Yeah. So, like, that's similar to what Falcon's dealing with here is like, I don't want to be the next Captain America. I want to be the next me. I want to be the next Falcon. Aaron Rodgers taking over for Brett Favre. Didi Gregorius taking over for Derek Jeter, whoever took over for Wayne Gretzky when he left Edmonton. Right. Well, I mean, it was, I mean, Sidney Crosby was the heir apparent and he was like, and even Sidney Crosby's like, I'm not, I can't be Gretzky. Like it just can't be done again. It can't be duplicated. So, so for Falcon to be like having to put in this position of being the next Captain America, it was too much. Yeah. Too much to bear. And it's something that we all have to remember, too, is Sam is just a normal man. He's right. not somebody that has super soldier serum in him. Right. He is just somebody that is just that much of a hero that he goes above and beyond his physical means. But to touch upon what you guys are saying, you're absolutely right. To inherit the mantle of Captain America and what that truly represents, not what you're being told on a script, a sheet of paper, it does have a lot of weight to it. And yeah. Some people just buckle underneath it, and there's I mean, no shame in it. I mean, they built the that the Far From Home. That's mm-hmm. what that whole Spider-Man movie was about, was being, yeah. him essentially becoming the next you know, Iron Man and him being like, I'm not ready yet to be that person. Right. And, and especially to remember that we're coming back from the blip. So yeah. five years have now gone. Yeah. yeah. What is the state of the world you live in? And yep. then let, let alone you're trying to inherit the mantle. It's a lot to bear. So, I mean, we understand Sam's point and we also understand Bucky's. And this is one fantastic dynamic of the show, too, is that it does have that good cop, bad cop feel to it. So, so to it's speak. such a lethal weapon vibe. Right. This oh, entire yeah. episode, I'm just like. Because Buck, you know, again, Bucky has this. It's almost funny though because you see a little bit of both of them in like Murtaugh and um, you know the other one in each of them, mm-hmm. and it's kind of funny because you see it in them. Like I definitely see uh, Bucky being uh, Murtaugh. Just I'm too old for this shit, yeah. you know. And but yeah. then you see Falcon being you know the young gunslinger, but at the same time, on the flip side, you see a little Murtaugh in him too. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fantastic dynamic when they're paired together, and and it doesn't feel overplayed either. Like no, it feels very generic. They're like so in the next scene, obviously, after very genuine, they get rather. to the hangar and they see the flag smashers. Their fucking tit for tat was fantastic. Like their barbs back and oh, forth. Oh yeah, the plane scene alone 
with, you know, Falcon jumping out and like, you know, what was the difference between you and Steve? And it was like, well, Steve had a plan. Like, and then he jumps off the plane and then he goes up to it. And obviously this is the Captain America Winter Soldier scene where he jumps out of the plane and, you know, you think Bucky's going to have this epic entrance and, Nah, dude just falls to the fucking ground. Falls on his cybernetic like, arm. Yeah, he's like, all right, you know, I got a, I got a, uh, I got an arm here. I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah and then he just was, crashes. And then you see Falcon's red wing just fly up, and he's like, I got all that. Oh tape. my god, that scene, that I was dying. I was in oh, tears. Yeah, no, that was good. That. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of playing off of the trope that you know fans and, and viewers of these movies and TV shows have that like. They jump out of something, you know, the Deadpool moment, superhero landing, superhero landing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen every time. No, right. It's perfectly set up, too, because as they're going chasing the Flag Smashers, they do get played a little bit because Carly Montague, who is the head Flag Smasher, mm-hmm. as we know of thus far, played by Aaron Kellyman, mm-hmm. set them up because yeah. as they're stealing the shipment of medicine, at least we're perceiving it is, they're led into a trap where Bucky is on the one tractor trailer with Car- Carly. And then Falcon has to come and bail him out where there's other super soldiers Whoa. on there. Uh, uh, allegedly. It allegedly. Was, it was a I'll setup. throw out the quotation marks. It was a setup, but I don't think they were initially expecting mm-hmm. Falcon and, and, and Oh, no. And Bucky. I agree with you. Because given how fast, you know, uh, fake Cap showed up with his, with his sidekick, I'm willing to bet they were like, all right, we know he's going to show. Yeah, we see the U.S. agent or fake Cap. I like. We're going to roll with that because I don't even like referring to him well, as Cap. All right, hold on, because sure. I just want to talk about the fight scene, too, when it was just the two of them. Because, I mean, Sam's doing everything he can to try and survive here. And they're whipping the shit out of both of them. Yeah. And and my favorite part, though, was when uh, Red Wing comes in and she, she or she break the big guy breaks Red Wing. Yeah. And Bucky, while tied up, you know, getting punched in the face was like, oh, my God, I wanted to do that for so long. And I, again, yeah. was like, dude, you're getting your ass kicked and you still have the time to be like, no, I'm glad you did that. And and I watched the episode twice and I couldn't help but think both times I saw that scene when they're quipping one-liners back and forth, oh, nice of you to show up, yada, yada, yada. Like, do, do you all not remember back in Civil War where Spider-Man's fighting the two of you? And I can't remember whether it was Sam or Bucky goes, there's not usually this much talking during a fight. Yeah. And, yeah. Now, and now they're quipping one-liners. Well, I mean, now they've, they've adjusted to this life, you know? And, I, and another thing, too, I mean, I thought that this scene, albeit it wasn't a f- ton of action. Like, I mean, there was a fight scene, but it wasn't like, you know, the blow-ups and the explosions mm-hmm. and all the craziness like we're so accustomed to. But right. this fight scene and the finer things of it, like I was saying, you know, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter kind of killing it. There was a lot of subtle things that if you didn't pick up on, uh-huh. you know, one thing being the the shield being whipped past Bucky's face yeah. and him, you know, right on his nose and not hitting him. Mm-hmm. And then the other one where it got whipped by him again, but that time he caught it and then uh-huh. handed it off. You know, that, another moment like that, like subtle things like that. Um, you know, the, the, the comments uh, that the, each four characters were doing while that. And then, you know, obviously the U.S. agent, pow, pow. You know, shooting. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the one big dramatic moment that yeah. when he comes in, fake Cap and his his version of Bucky, right? Battlestar, uh, played by Clay Bennett. They come in and they're trying to save the day in their only way they know how. And you see fake Cap pull out a gun and start shooting. Yep. Yep. Which I'm like, ooh, we're already planting those. Yeah, we're we're hitting the ground running here. That this is not the Steve Rogers way. This is the John Walker way. Yep. Yeah. So as they're going through trying to save the day, they're now interfering because I think that, like you touched on, Pat, they were the original target. Oh yeah. They were trying to draw them out. Oh, right. Yeah. And that just Falcon and Winter Soldiers happen to be there, but still because this is overseas in like Europe, east, you know, like Eastern Europe, maybe close to Russia, somewhere around there. 
And the last we Munich is Munich. Munich. Yeah, okay, so Munich. yeah, so they're in Munich. And the last we saw Cap was in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So no, they they were totally knew they were in the area, and they were like, all right, listen, we're gonna steal this, but we got to plan and prep for fake Cap. Right. But as we go through this great back and forth, and like Coach touched upon too, when John Walker is throwing the shield around, yep. Bucky's having deja vu. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's definitely throwing him off that he's seeing this now in person. Because, I mean, obviously seeing yeah. it on TV is one thing. Right, but, but seeing it in action. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And then the little subtle uh, tip of the hat to the Winter Soldier where he grabs it and then hands it off to him. Yeah. Yep. Thought was perfect. And then the Flag Smashers get the upper hand on him and then wind up escaping with the medicine and everybody is kind of left on the white side. Because well, yeah, yep. Bucky gets stuck under the bus or the truck like we see. Falcon goes under there and rescues him out, and they just bail. They're yeah. like, yo, we're out. Yeah. Well, they just the, he has to make the big save, and they're gone. And then and they get whipped off, and then the van you know, gets taken off too far. Yeah, and then you see the U.S. agent and Battlestar are not prepared for this, and then they're left you know, in retreat as well. And as you see, Bucky and or Falcon and the Winter Soldier walking away. Yeah, which was fucking awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. that was great. Them yeah. just walking because, like, they don't have a vehicle. Here they are just trying to get back to wherever they got to go. And boom, boom, boom. You know, that was great. Yeah, and then you see the Battlestar and John Walker and another no, come soldier. come in. Get in. Get in. And, no. And they're just looking at him and saying no. <laughs> Fuck yourself. Yes, and you see John Walker. I mean, why Russell playing just the obnoxious oh, yeah. jerk? Oh, I mean, yeah. phenomenal performance was just sitting there going, you know, we should really work together. And he's like, he's just throwing it like, you need us. And yeah, we, like, we can really help you, you know? Yeah, and he's like, and, and Sebastian stands in just perfect Bucky Barnes You're not form. Captain America. Yeah, you're not <laughs> Captain America. Just rubbing it, the salt in the wound. And I loved it back and forth until finally. Such a high schooler, middle schooler thing to say. Like, yeah. you're not the teacher, man. But to know where, you know, that's the era he grew up in. Right, no, it's, it's it was perfect. Perfect. So as they say, they're going away, and you see the U.S. agent take off, and then the flag smashers. Well, they do. They do finally pick them up because this scene's important too. Because uh, the U.S. agent, you know, at first is building up their con- yeah, Hey, we should work together. And then the two of them are kind of looking at each other, Sam and Bucky, and they're like, "All right, well, maybe should we give this guy a chance?" Like he's saying all the right things right now, but then he ends it with that last barb of, "It would be really helpful for me if Cap's friends decided." my side you know mm-hmm. and then that was the one thing that sam because bucky had already gotten up at this point sam finally looked at him and goes it's always that last line and it's true in yeah. life you oh, know yeah. you always say that one thing too far that creates you know that that tension and then it breaks that tension into the point of now you know uh a cold standoff instead of like you know being able to to communicate together and then boom there goes you know sam with bucky yeah, and that's just how they're gonna going about this because they don't respect him, and right. nor should they. Because no, they he was no. he was gift wrapped the mantle. It's not like Steve gave it to him because Steve would only give it to somebody that he trusted, representing the ideals of the nation. Hey, he did jump on a bomb though with a helmet. Yeah. Oh, I, that's what I said. <laughs> Steve Steve was just one of the most badass characters in all of comics. So. This was nothing new. John Walker, he probably tried shooting it first before he jumped on it. <laughs> that's just how he rolls. But as they start separating their ways, we see the Flag Smashers are now on the run and get a little more background on them, that somebody is after them. Yep. Now, this kind of went a little back and forth about the rumors in uh, Our Kill 1. It's not Mephisto, so everybody can pump the brakes. Yeah, everybody just stop with that. No. Enough with that. It's not funny anymore. Right. It's it's for another time, so you got to wait a year till Doctor Strange comes out. Then you can start that up again. But no, but we do see somebody is texting the head of the Flag Smashers and saying, you have something I want, right. essentially. And you took it from me. I'm going to get you for it. Yes. 
So let me ask the panel, do we have any theories of who this might be? Mephisto. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh the not the Taskmaster. What's the other guy? The headmonger or something I've seen on the internet. Now I can't remember. I don't think it's hate- power broker. Yes, it's power a, broker. It's a power broker. I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's hate monger. That's no. another. Yeah, it's a different thing. I couldn't another, remember name. Power broker. Now the power broker is very interesting. If you're not familiar who that is, essentially it's a super powered steroid dealer. Oh, and okay. this was somebody in the, in like the eighties that were basically creating uh, superpowered villains for Hydra and yep. other organizations, and this does tie in very closely to John Walker yep. mm. because in the comics that's how he gets his powers. Right now they haven't touched upon it here, but I think they've, but they've already been they've been showing a lot of, like in the end trailers, like unlike uh, WandaVision where the end credits really didn't have any subtle like things. Mm-hmm. This one does. Like if you watch the bonus scene, you'll see like. The power broke like there's a power broker headline with part of the paper ripped off, and there's another one that says like the power broker's here for you, and then says like all, and then there's other clues to other things that have gone on that you're like if you don't watch the end credits, you're kind of missing out on those subtle subtle clues that have been happening. Yeah, and it's definitely a footnote to the comics, and it plays right into the origin story and how this is ultimately going to wind up for the U.S. agent. Yeah. So I do applaud them for following the comics yeah. to that degree. So as we say, their story kind of differs there a little bit. There is a great escape that the flags, the the head flag smasher Kari does. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. and sacrificing one of you know yeah. one of the guys stepping up for to slow them down, which was interesting. Yeah, it's interesting how they're trying to play this group out. Like I Honor say, among thieves. Yeah, it yeah. is. You're exactly right because, like I say, in the comics, the actual flag smasher character is very generic. Yeah. It's very create a wrestler, as we well, like to it's say. Al- it's almost uh, to their credit of. You know, maybe like for people, because obviously the world that we live in currently, you know, would things be better off this way? You know, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that live their life that way. So like for these people to be like, no, the world was better during the blimp. You almost empathize, you can empathize with them because you're like, maybe life was better during the blimp. I mean, we don't know what that life was like because we didn't see it. We only saw it from the perspective of. You know, Cap and and the and the superheroes that were trying to change things back. I mean, obviously, we saw the one uh, group meeting with Cap where you know people were you know basically having like a, a therapy session. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the only glimpse into the blimp life we right. saw, and that was five years after it happened. Right. And plus, so there's another thing too that I think the MCU has done a very good got or a very good job camouflaging. We really don't know what the public thinks of these superheroes. That's true. Right. We've never had anybody really well, assume. Well, there was the one poster in uh, the therapy session during Endgame where it was, it was the silhouetted Avengers, you know, at an, an, on an empty street, and it said, where are they? Right. But like we say, we don't know exactly what the, the temp in the room is. Because- Obviously, though, Thunderbolt, the uh, Ross, and his, you know, Wakanda and the, um, the Accords, mm-hmm. you know, kind of... Sokovian Accords kind of show their hand as far as what the government right. thinks of them. But, yeah, yeah not the pu- public at large. We really haven't public seen. Public at large. Yeah. We, ha- we haven't seen a real crowd reaction to how the crowd feels since end of Avengers 1. Yeah, because yeah. we've only seen it on a post-commercials, like what they thought of these superheroes. Right. right. That's it. Yeah. So we really don't know what the temp in the room is, as we like to say here on the ODPH. It's something that we're going to have to watch moving forward because it's a very fascinating point that they're trying to make with this group. And like I say, I applaud that they're actually doing something fresh with this very standard villain. So No, no I think it's great because, I mean, it's a direction of the show that we really haven't – or a direction of the MCU that we really haven't seen as far as making the you know uh, villain almost a way of uh, – an antihero mm-hmm. in a way. You know what I mean? Like – 
you know, yeah, all right, some people, like, could understand what Thanos was doing, but, like, you knew he was a bad guy because he was willing to kill to do it there. Like, we don't really know, other than them being Robin Hoods, essentially, you know, what they're they're willing to do with the Flag Smashers. Yeah, and I think it's going to be something really interesting to see them do because, like I say, the comics, really one and done. Oh, yeah. Nothing to write home about except the guy had a mace. That was it. But going back to the show, they did introduce us to a very important character in the Captain America Marvel history. This scene was nuts. Absolutely. Because when Bucky and Sam start putting together about super soldiers, Bucky remembers there is one super soldier he knows that it was forgotten about unjustly. Mm-hmm. And for everything he did to help the country, yeah. they go to Baltimore. And they go and search for Isaiah Bradley, mm-hmm. played by Carl Lumby. Yep. yep. And this was a very powerful scene. Yeah. Oof. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So just reading off of the description of uh, the Wikipedia page, uh, it says Isaiah Bradley, uh, portrayed by Carl Lumby, is an aging veteran super soldier who served in the Korean War, during which time he was sent behind enemy lines to fight the brainwashed Bucky Barnes, whose metal arm he had damaged. He was later imprisoned by the U.S. government for 30 years, experimented on, and his existence kept a secret, with not even Steve Rogers knowing of him. Uh, he lives with his grandson, Eli Bradley, in Baltimore. Uh, he and it says he first appears in the Disney Plus series, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, where he refuses to help Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes when they seek him out. So Bucky goes to see him, knowing their history, and balls to Bucky for going to him because had to feel you were going to get this reaction right that he's looking for help and he doesn't want to help him get out of my house and, and the the grandson's like yo all right you gotta leave and Sam's ready to like whoop his ass vibranium balls yeah. on him on Bucky because I mean to go there knowing your history and the fact that you know and it, the craziest thing was was Bucky remembered the the battle because oh, yeah. he remembered him, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing. Because for the most part, I mean, yeah, I know he knows the names of his missions and stuff. But, I mean, was that from getting Zemo's book? Like, we don't really know. So, like, it was very interesting for him to have these memories be so detailed that he remembered this battle in particular. Well, I think the one thing that we're seeing now is the more he's going to therapy, yeah, the more he's remembering. Okay. Well, that and I think, and that's I think the way he, I took it. I thought he, he always like remembered certain portions of stuff, but it, it's kind of like with trauma for anybody that's ever had that happen. There are just certain parts that like something traumatic happens to you or something awful that happens. You, your brain and your psyche just goes over about it to block it out of your mind. That like, he remembers bits and pieces of some of those missions, but it's just which parts he can't control. Yeah. Mm. And then we got to see, it, you know, uh, his power, you know, his strength when he throws the tin into the wall. And yeah. It sticks. <laughs> like I say, it was, a, it was a great introduction to a character that, like I say, was unjustly treated by the government for his service. Yeah. And you could, like I said, Lumby, Lumby just absolutely was amazing. Oh, in this, he killed in this yeah. scene. Like he I said, you, like I say, if you're not familiar with the character of Isaiah Bradley, I mean, it's a great comic series to read and find out about. Uh, and they did introduce his grandson, Eli Bradley. Yep. So played by Elijah Richardson. We're going to see him later down the road. Oh, for sure. Because if you're not familiar with Young Avengers, and we've been screaming this for Christ Almighty, it's in red spray paint on the wall at this point. (laughs) Yeah, that you're going to see him. Holy shit, it couldn't get any more obvious. Yeah, down the road. So as they leave from that very powerful scene. Another powerful scene happens. Another one, too, is they get approached by the Baltimore police. Because they're arguing on the streets. Mm Mm-hmm. 
a, you know, Sam and Bucky obviously having the disagreement over the fact that um, uh, Bradley has been kept secret for so long, especially from Sam. Uh, you know, so they exchange some barbs here and uh, tension raises and the Baltimore police roll up on him on a stop sign, you know, and basically start to give Sam the third degree, you know, ignoring Bucky at all, you know, at all yeah. costs. Which, all, not even ignoring him, just like treating him like, is this man bothering yeah. you, sir? And I mean, obviously, I mean, let's spade a spade, you know, the scenes, the scene here, you know, Sam being of uh, black descent and Bucky being white, you know, them in Baltimore where there's uh, history. Um, you know, get a little tension between the cops and Sam to which Bucky then has to step in and say, do you know who this is? Mm-hmm. So and, the, that, and the cop about shits his pants. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then him realizing that it's Sam kind of has to do a double take. Um, and then uh, I don't know if you want to call it irony or, all, you know, a, a little bit of uh, of uh, just tension, more tension, I guess, uh, end up picking up Bucky mm-hmm. on his, uh, he had a worn out because he had missed yep. his court order therapy session. Yep. So forgot about that. It starts with Sam not realizing who he was, finding out that he's the winter soldier or Falcon, then backing down and then, you know, escorting Bucky in handcuffs off to the police precinct. Right. So as we go from there, he does go to the court appointed therapy session with Sam, which was also a tremendously yes. done scene. Absolutely. Starts with the them sitting, you know, her wanting to do the exercise and Bucky. Oh yeah. 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 Let's do this one. I want to do this one. Yeah. 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 And them sitting, getting closer and closer and closer with their chair. Fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic. Blank. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. But then you get they actually break down a little bit, and you yeah. understand why. You understand why Bucky flips yeah, yeah. out at Sam for giving up the mantle. He's and, like, and you see why Sam has his standpoint too with what we talked about with him, yeah. not feeling like he can fit the shoes of Captain America. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant to see how this is done. So they basically agree we're going to agree to disagree just to get through this, and we're never going to talk to each other. Yeah, again. which was sad. It's sad, but you. But nobody's taking any seriousness with sure. it. Sure. Because they they work too well together. It's like they, they might hate each other, sure, but they respect each other too much to let it go. And then the other thing that walked away from that I walked away with this scene seeing was when they leave and he looks at, you know, the doctor and the doctor go you know, she uh, Bucky, you know, leaves and he's had his rules, you know, rule one, rule two, rule three, and he you know, goes, What's rule two again? Because obviously now Sam had uh said a jab. Mm-hmm. Pretty and uh, you know, kind of hit Bucky pretty hard, um, and I don't remember exactly what Sam had said, but it was something that Bucky was like, "Wow, you didn't have to take it there." So then Sam, you know, Sam sprints out of the. Oh, that was the line where Sam says, uh, I, "We'll never talk again. We'll finish yeah. this." And you know, for Bucky, that hurts because that's Bucky's only friend. Yeah, you know, and although yeah, Bucky's ignored him this entire time, he's going through some shit. So he needs, you know, Sam's constant touching with the text messages and the calls reminds Bucky or, yeah, reminds Bucky that he does have somebody in this world because, again, he is from 1930. Mm-hmm. So this is a difficult time for him right now. His best friend. Best friend is MIA. Yeah, his best yeah. friend's MIA, and now he's alone, you know, in the world. So for him to hit that line of, you know, we'll never talk again once we're done with this and then walk out of the room hurts him, right? Yes. So as he gets up, he looks at the doctor, and can you remind me what rule two was? And the doctor says... Don't hurt feelings. And Bucky looks and goes, thanks for the reminder. Almost as if a jab to the doctor saying, you didn't have to do this yeah. at this time. You know what I mean? And I, you know, Aaron and I looked back at that scene and was like, yeah, man, Bucky's hurt. Like, well, I mean, this, they, well, this I mean, they had to have the therapy because Walker showed up, bailed him out of jail, and basically pulled some strings going, yeah, his uh, court-mandated therapy sessions, 
over and done with. We need him out in the field. We need him doing stuff, and we can't have him hampered by these. And she's like, all right, one more, and then we can go. Right, but I mean, for her, though, she didn't need to make it so spiteful and mm-hmm. so yeah. venomous in yeah. that room. You know, I mean, she created a lot of that tension yeah. by playing the games that she did mm-hmm. to really, you know, and that's why I was like, damn, man, like, why did you, like, she didn't have to do that. And now, you know, you've got these two at tension, you know, and odds. And, you know, you got Bucky now looking at the fact that once this is done, I'm alone again. Yeah, it was a very fantastic scene. And like you touched upon, John Walker bails him out and yet again is trying to make it his own quote-unquote Avengers. Oh, that just sounds dirty (laughs) saying. And Sam and Bucky are both like, no, we're out. We have our own plan. Yeah, but I love the way that they spun it because, like, you know, Walker knows what they're doing. Like, he realizes that, you know, they're trying to manipulate him because they're like, Listen, you've got red tape and you've got your rules and you got to answer to people. We're free agents, so just let us go. And, you know, uh, he looks at him, you know, and gives him the, yeah, okay. You know, Walker, you know, yeah, yeah, all right, whatever, guys. And, you know, he knows what they're doing, but I mean, it's true. Like, he does have to answer to a government, albeit though they'll probably let him have some slack as compared to the other Captain America who wasn't able to even be in the field Mm. until he just went on his own. Um, So, like, yeah, you know, these two are free agents. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, so they decide to go walk, and they go, well, we have to go find some answers, and they decide they have to go visit one Helmet Zemo. There's only one place that we can get the answers, and they look at each other like, Oh, we're going to see him, aren't we? Uh, And and Uh, Falcon's like, wait, are you for real? Are we we doing this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then we go to the final scene is we see Zemo behind bars waiting. A lap of luxury. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Thought that was I, kind of interesting. Well, I, what I liked about that scene, too, was it reminded me very much in the in the video pointed out, too, because I was like, God, this scene reminds me of something. It was very much Magneto in X-Men. Yeah. Where he yeah. knows... Yeah. You know, he knows Xavier is going to come visit him and he's in this cell and he's all calm and, you know, under control because he knows he's the answer, you know? So like, that's what Zemo's doing right now. He's just counting his days until somebody comes visit him because he knows that he has the answers. It was a fantastic play on it. I will say Daniel Rule is, I can't wait to see him on a screen officially because we know he is coming and eventually getting that purple mask too. I'm, I'm so stoked for that. But final thoughts on the episode. Uh, great episode. Loved all the action sequences and the one-liners. And I was just looking ahead to next week, and now it doesn't tell me anything. Two things. I think we're going to get our first appearance from Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly spoiled by the fact that it got announced she was going to be appearing on Good, <laughs> Good Morning America on Friday. Oh, real? Yeah, so it got announced uh, Emily Van Camp is going to be on good, actual, legit Good Morning America this Friday, which is the same day that show comes out. So... Willing to bet Sharon Carter shows up next week. Solid play. But, but I was looking at who's writing the next two episodes. Gentleman by the name of Derek Colstead, who if you haven't heard the name, he wrote a few movies called John Wick 1, John Wick 2, and John Wick 3. So a lot of explosions. Uh-huh. There's going to be a lot of action sequences. Probably a dog. Yeah. It's going to be at least referenced in some shape, way, or form. Oh, my God. Can you just imagine... I don't. Even, I didn't even want to go that route. No, I mean, coach, your thoughts on this? Yeah, episode, I, I, great episode overall. Obviously, the MCU is in full swing. They know exactly what they're doing, and you know this is going to play out 
you know, excuse me, in a way that we're all going to be excited for. And I like how they're not shying away from the social issues. No, I, yeah, I, 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 I they very they very easily could and just like not even go near it with a thirty nine and a half foot pole. But they're like, nah, we're going in I, there. I walked when that scene happened. I t- like Aaron. I, Aaron goes, you didn't know that was happening. They talked about this up front that they were going to be doing. It. I'm like. Yeah, I mean, I knew that they would, but I didn't think they were going to tackle it as aggressive as they would, being the fact that this is Disney. And no, they went full deep dive in there, and that's great. I mean, good for them for doing it. It's the right thing to do to address it, and I, I, the episode overall was great. Well, they're going full tilt, and I know that the powers that be are reacting to it because there was an article that came out from the either the series producer or director, whoever, that when the higher-ups saw the scene from last week with the loan, Feige called them. There was like a couple like head higher ups at like Marvel and, and Disney that were calling him going, wait a minute, hold on a second. Yeah, no, I think it was fantastic they're doing this. And if you want to find out more about the character of Isaiah Bradley, the series is Truth, Red, White, and Black. It came out 2003 by Marvel, so definitely go check that out at your comic shops or on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, fantastic episode. Like I say, it really started to give some layers to a lot of characters that – you might not be familiar with unless you've read the comics. Like I said, the take they were doing on the Flag Smashers I thought was great. Seeing Isaiah Bradley and, like I said, Carl Lumbi absolutely crushed that scene. Like that whole time he was on screen, he absolutely just stole the episode, in my opinion. And where they're going to go from here, we know Young Avengers is going to be tying in, so we're going to see more of Eli down the road. But for right now, it's the countdown to meet up with Zemo. Next week's episode is going to be 54 minutes from what I've heard. Ooh. So it's going to be a long one. Expect a lot of action because I think they're going to kick in high gear because with only six episodes, we're now in the midway point. So we got to really be picking up the speed here. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about episode two, The Star Spangled Man from Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney Plus? We definitely want to have that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And time to talk a little UFC news. Yeah. Now this past week was UFC 260 Live on pay-per-view on ESPN+. Plus. And with a headline match that has now sent ripples across the MMA community. Your champion, Stipe Miocic, was defending the belt against the unstoppable Francis Ngannou. We like to call him the soul taker here on 607 Podcast between us, 3FN, Horror Zone 607. And man, oh man, did this fight ever deliver. And then what came after it too? Cool. So, Pad... Yeah, so this was, of course, the main event. Like you mentioned, this was for the heavyweight championship with Stipe Miocic defending. Uh, and the fight went longer than normal for Francis Ngannou. He's mm. now he's now upped his total ring time uh, in the UFC by, like, five minutes. So he's now up to seven minutes total ring time. Uh, but he knocked out Stipe Miocic uh, 52 seconds into the second round. Uh, and I got to say, I wasn't able to watch the fight live because I had to be up real early the next morning. But I did catch the highlights. Uh, once uh, Ngan, or Stipe tried to take him down and, and uh, Nganu stuffed him, I'm like, I re- all right, I realize I know the results of this, but, yo, it's over. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, your thoughts? Yeah, I um, the fact that Nganu was able to uh, handle uh, everything that Stipe had to offer is scary. And Stipe shouldn't have had that lasagna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this isn't – and what's even scarier is this isn't Nganu's final form. No. Like he is, this is like Cell Man. I mean, this is dangerous for the UFC heavyweight division because 
this dude's just evolving and just getting better, and it's only a matter of time until it all clicks. And he will just – I mean, I know he's 34 years old, but he will run this division. Run it. He absolutely made a statement with this. I mean, we knew with Stipe Miocic, I mean, one of the most decorated heavyweights in all the UFC and MMA, and obviously going through battles with Daniel Cormier and just we weren't sure what we were going to have at this stage. Could Stipe beat Ngannou, and then what was next? And for Ngannou, who has been on a tear since they last fought, yeah, I mean, to see the change in demeanor and everything Ngannou is doing, the only question mark we had going into this fight was, the could, wrestling. Could Nganu handle the wrestling? Uh, yes. Right. Yes. Well, and, and could, could Nganu handle the wrestling? Could Nganu handle the pace? Because those mm-hmm. were the two things that worked against them in the first fight. Because Stipe was very much in his face, closing the distance, pressuring Nganu, making him throw off his back foot yeah. versus you know the versus what Nganu would like to do, which is just being able to throw bombs. Yeah. You can't really throw bombs when somebody's in your face trying to no, take you down. No. So, I mean, those were the two things. Was Nganu going to be able to handle that? And, yes, he could. Yeah. No, I mean, like Ken said, Nganu's been on a tear since his back-to-back losses to Stipe and Derek Lewis, knocking out one, two, three, four, now five guys in a row. Yeah, in devastating fashion. These are not stoppages. These are literally you see the soul leave the body. Yeah. Alistair Overeem knockout might be the scariest thing I've ever seen. And now you see videos of, of Mike Tyson showing him moves. Yes, let's make the scariest man in the UFC even scarier by giving him Tyson skills. Well, this is the ramifications coming from this fight. With Stipe, we don't know what his future lies. I mean, obviously, he's... Uh, he's I know where it lies. Uh, paydays. Well, in paydays, sure. But where does he go from here? Because you know he's got to work his way back to getting a title shot if he really wants to yeah. go that route. But he's already been champion for so long, it's hard to stay motivated. And obviously, he's took a long time off after the last fight. That's true. Well, no, I mean, so I was listening to Ariel and, and uh, Comier today, and they talked about, you know, this was only seven months. The last right. time that DC and uh, uh, DC fought Stipe. It feels longer. Yeah, it does. But, it, yeah, no, that's what I said, too. I was like, oh, my God. So the last time uh, Stipe and DC, too, he, there was a whole year. Between the second and third fight, uh, he's he's correct. Well, almost almost a year. Uh, DC and Cormier one was August seventeenth of twenty nineteen. DC Cormier two was August fifteenth of twenty twenty. Interesting, so almost a year. Yeah. So I mean, he they talked about the fact that, uh, and I you know you never really think about this, but the battles that the th- two of them went. I'm talking Stipe and DC. Oh, yeah. Took so much out of both fighters that that's why DC was like win or lose, I was out. I oh, knew I yeah, was retiring. I mean, That's I mean, what DC said. Yeah. So for Stipe to come back in seven months after that grueling five-round fight or four-round fight against uh, DC the last time, mm. to bounce back and fight Ngannou, who was obviously training and getting ready for mm-hmm. Stipe, um, you know, he, he just wasn't mentally ready. You know, almost like a, a, when Rocky fought... Um, Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang. Yeah. It was such a quick turnaround that first fight that, you know, Rocky just wasn't prepared for it with all the shiny lights and everything. And this really felt like, in particular, this fight really felt like in the narrative was this was Stipe's culmination of, you know, and ceremonial championship fight of crowning the greatest world heavyweight. And here was Ngannou. And he's just fucking hungry. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean you can't, you got to give Stipe all the credit in the world. He did not take an easy path to get here. Uh, in twenty, I'll just read through call some of the folks he fought. He fought Stefan Struve in twenty twelve, Roy Nelson, uh, Junior Dos Santos, Mark Hunt, Andre Arlovsky, Fabricio Verdum, Alistair Overeem, Junior Dos Santos, Frank uh, Francis Ngannou, Daniel Cormier uh, uh, three times, and now Francis Ngannou again. Like that is not a, a 
easy path. He's fought a who's who. No, and I mean, I and I feel for him because you know, obviously working the full time job and everything, it just gets to the point. And I mean, uh, a lot of this, uh, you know, if uh, uh, with CrossFit, like a lot of the athletes in the early days were full time job athletes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they were they would train and then they would work their full time job. But it gets to the point where people dedicate their lives to this that you know you can't be the all right i'm in a nine to five and then train for an hour and still show up and win a crossfit game event like it just doesn't work anymore so for us in stipe's sense working a full-time job and and a firefighter a demanding job Mm -hmm. at that you know and and training you know who knows what exactly his training schedule is like but i mean between the commitments that he have of being a full-time firefighter uh, a family man having a daughter and a son on the way, a wife, you know, that he, he cares for, you know, there's so many demands going so many ways that for him to, to be the world heavyweight champion at this level yeah. is hell of impressive, but it gets to the point where you fight somebody who their sole focus and their sole dedication and their only thing that they think about day and night, training, eating and fighting. Mm-hmm. You can't keep up with that. And that's what Nganu was. Nganu right now is, was building for this moment. And Uh-oh. and his focus was this. Oh, absolutely. This is something that he was prepared for. And like I said, Stipe did not look that good going into this. Like right. There was something just about his body language when he was standing in the cage. Like his hair was all messed up and he just, it looked like he was really just tired. And I think mm-hmm. that was something that just stuck out with me watching it on the, on the stream. I mean, he said before he traveled that, like, in the interview that they did, the post, the pre-fight interview, mm-hmm. he worked Friday. Yeah. He flew out Saturday. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just, that's fucking nuts. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, he looked that. I mean, he just did not look right. And this obviously came back to haunt him because now Nganu did one of the devastating knockouts I've ever seen. I thought, I honestly thought Miosic, how he landed on his knee. Yeah. I thought he blew his knee out. This reminded yeah. me of Krokop and Gabriel oh, Gonzaga. right, where he fucking just buckled. Straight, yeah. yeah, straight up same thing. I was like, oh my God, he just blew his knee out. He's done. Because at this stage of the game, you don't really come back from that. But now Nganu is the head person at the division. Mm-hmm. He is your champion. Like, careful calling him head of the table. He might get Roman. I know. Right? I was, <laughs> was going to say head of the table just because I, you know, we talk so much wrestling here. And then immediately after the fight, yeah, Twitter went Twitter. Yeah, and I don't mean this in the negative sense per se, but there's one person that you mean you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Yeah, because whenever there's a big fight involving the light heavyweights or the heavyweights, somebody decides to tweet out something. Yep. Yeah, and who is this person? Pad John Bones Jones, who tweeted, "Quote: Show me the money." Yes, because he had vacated the light heavyweight title. He was saying he would definitely step up to the heavyweight division to get his fight on, and he wanted the world title shot the minute he walked in the door. Yep. Dana White had tentatively agreed to it. Yeah. Now, it's been reported that he he's, gets the winner of this fight. It's not Pen has not been put to paper. Right. There's but, no contract signed. Yeah, no. Well, in the post-fight press conference, uh, they addressed this. Yes. And they asked Dana the question, hey, yeah. did you see John's tweet? No, yeah. I didn't see it. Uh, it says, show me the money. And Dana laughs and chuckles. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but oh, says I've, something. I've the, I've effect- got, no, I've got the full quote. Oh, okay, go ahead. Quote, if I'm John Jones and I'm home watching this fight, I start thinking of moving to 185. Well, not. and then the other part of that quote is, too, is he summed something to the effect of, you know, we've seen a lot of fighters do this. Where they've said, "Oh, I want this fight, I want that fight," and then it comes down to they didn't pay me, they didn't show, they didn't show me what I was looking for as far as cash, and that you know Dana basically says is a way for a fighter to get out of the fight. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I know we all have our opinions on this, and I, I yeah. guess I'm lucky enough to go first because I'm talking right now, but I think John's right. I think John has every right to demand that kind of cat, that kind of money, and I think it's smart on him to do. Now, I don't think it's smart to be as public as he is because track record and history has shown the UFC does not fuck around when you go public. Mm-hmm. You you do things behind closed doors. They'll they'll cater, you know, and they'll bend a little bit, you know. But you've seen every time Connor goes public, what happens? Connor walks away looking a li- not as great, you know what I mean? And as far as the eyes of the UFC fans. But when he does things closed door, you know, with Dana, typically he pretty much gets what he wants. You know, the Cerrone thing, you know, he mm-hmm. got a very lucrative payday that wasn't known. The Khabib fight, he got paid very well. Oh, yeah. Then you look at this most recent outrage, what happened with Poirier, where it was originally viral. The uh, tweets happened. He, he reposted some of the things that Dana had privately DM'd him. Things didn't go so well. He still got paid in the Poirier fight, yeah. but it wasn't as as great as it could. No. Now, John going public with this is a bold strategy. I, I I think he's right, but then today he came out and said, "I want somewhere between eight and twelve well, million. No, no, he said eight and ten million is too low. Yeah, yeah and that's fucking nuts. Connor yeah. got five against Poirier, and Connor draws. John, I'm sorry. Connor broke a streaming service. Yeah, I, John, I'm sorry. I I love you. You're a great fighter. You're gonna go down as one of the best of all time. But you don't draw money. The way that Connor does. So for you to say the eight to twelve is too low, you're out of your mind. People are going to pay for this fight, and it's going to be a big payday. Oh yeah, but it's not going to be Connor, and nothing will ever be that. So you're, it's a bad move by him. Yeah, a couple other tweets. Uh, Sunday at 5:52 p.m. Uh, I'm presuming. Yeah, dude that. had to put the phone down. Uh, yeah. He goes, "Quote: I am tr- going to try to remain faithful. There's still time for the UFC to do the right thing. I'm supposed to be seeing a fight proposal next week." Fingers are crossed. This is an opportunity of a lifetime for everyone involved. Uh, he then sent out a couple more tweets. Uh, I believe this was on Monday. Quote, just fucking let me go. What type of weird shit is this? Obviously, the boss hates me. Let me take my b- business elsewhere. I'm not trying to be great for other people anymore. I'm trying to be great for myself. There's nothing great about being taken advantage of. You guys have no idea how insulted I feel. Uh, should know. Uh, he's now moved into the number one pound for pound rankings now that Habib uh, is officially retired. Uh, and then today he tweets, quote, I had a brief phone com- phone meeting with UFC's lawyer Hunter a few days ago. As of right now, I expressed to him that anywhere around eight to 10 million would be way too low for a fight of this magnitude. That's all that has been discussed so far. I'm supposed to be waiting for what their offer is going to be. Really hoping the numbers are nowhere near that low. I guess we'll see what happens. John, I love the hell out of you. I have the very fortunate pleasure of calling you a fellow alumni. For those of you who don't know, I went to the same high school. And in fact, I graduated two years after John Jones did. I had the fortunate pleasure of meeting he and his older and his brother, Art, a fantastic gentleman, very nice gentleman, uh, made it real easy for me to not get bullied as a freshman in high school. Once people knew I was friends with Art and John Jones, uh, didn't meet Chandler because he was, you know, two years behind me and, you know, really didn't get, ever uh, have anybody to meet him with. That being said, John, you're a fucking dumbass and you need to shut the hell up. You are getting gifted a golden opportunity on a silver, not even silver, a diamond platter. That you are getting the opportunity to come into a weight division, leapfrog everybody. Now, I get you're one of, if not the greatest fighter of all time. You at home can sit there and decide and come up for yourself whether he is or not. But he is one of the best, if not the best fighter of all time. 
But for you to come in, get gifted an opportunity to leapfrog the entire division, when there's a lot of good names in that division, Derek Lewis is one, you know, to leapfrog guys like Derek Lewis and everybody else who probably deserves a shot at that title just because you're John, you really should be picking your battles and picking how you go about them. Because for you to go in there, whine, bitch, and moan on social media and try and make it public that eight to ten million is too low, I deserve more. You know what could happen? You could get left out to dry until your contract runs out and you don't get paid shit all. I'm just showing the panel here in case anybody starts hearing the computer move. An article I dug up from last summer. And this was John Jones arguing about his money. And then they just reworked the deal after he vacated the uh, light heavyweight title, if I'm not mistaken. And he infamously put, my pay's not worth it. Is that ringing a bell to anybody? Vaguely, yeah. It was something that, so I'll paraphrase it. I'm not going to exactly quote. But... This feels like deja vu yet again. And why this is now happening again, I don't really understand. I'm not fathoming. It just sounds like you don't want to fight Francis Ngannou. I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to fight Francis Ngannou. In fact, I would take Dana's advice and maybe not go to 185, but I'd go back to 205. But... This is the question you have to ask because no. because not, no 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 because because here's here's the thing. He very publicly said I'm moving up to heavyweight and vacated the belt and I know that I thought they they worked out the money deal last time. Apparently not. So now we're back at it again because I think Ngannou scares him. I I think he does too. I think he was banking on Stipe being there and being oh I can out wrestle Stipe. I can keep him at bay and, and with my long reach. But Ngannou he just stuffed Stipe. Now I get Stipe ain't exactly an Olympic, you know, metal wrestler, mm-hmm. but he's still a pretty damn good wrestler. I think Ngannou scares him, and I think he's scared he's going to get knocked the fuck out, and it's going to ruin tar- tarnish his legacy a little bit. I think. Okay. I, I just think that he wants to get paid. I think that this is obviously a vocal thing among the fighters that he knows that this fight's going to be a big money fight. And he wants to get compensated as much. And yeah, in the back of his mind, there's the threat and the possibility that this might be his first loss. And I think for that, he wants to get compensated. I don't think he's scared because he's not, you know, he he's never turned out fight. You know what I mean? He's fought everybody. He's fought a who's who in the light heavyweight division. He's never had a problem with it. I mean, Rampage hits like a Mack truck too, mm. and he didn't step down for that either. So think, think of it. Think of it is though, is if he goes, oh, I'm going to go heavyweight. I'll take on anybody. I'll fight anybody in that division. But the first guy you say, hey, you're going to fight him. You turn tail and run and go, nah, it's not because of him. It's because of the money. It's a little suspect. I mean, it's like DC said. I, I listen. I'm going to keep referring to this because he made a lot of fucking good points on the mm. show today. Sure. So. And that's how I, I, I got my clips about the fight because I couldn't watch it. But, he you know, he said it best. John was 23 and fought, at the time, one of the greatest fighters of all time, Shogun Rua. Yeah. And wasn't scared of shit. So you think that a 31-year-old Jones is scared of, of Ngannou? No. It's just John wants to get paid and paid the way that somebody of his stature should be paid. And I don't blame him for it. Like I said, I think that, you know, if he wants to get – if he wants to earn that cash – do whatever you got to do, but just don't make it so public because now you kind of look like, you know, like how you guys are viewing it, like a chicken shit. Well, th- there's another point I'll bring up too, though, is with this nonsense he did last year again too. Sure. I, n- I understand that he has a right to request that kind of money. I, d- I do. I mean, like I said, last year it was him and Masvidal, if I'm not mistaken. They had to get their deals reworked. And right. And they finally decided to come back, and John has been sitting there waiting to go up to heavyweight. 
But I think the UFC might be a little gun shy about paying John because let's face it, he's had some history where he's been suspended. Oh, 100%. So do they want to invest? I mean, I'm just I'm playing devil's no, advocate here. What you're saying now on the UFC side of things no, that makes, makes sense. 100% sense. Yeah. When you're arguing from their standpoint because like like Dana said in the press conference, Derek Lewis is right there. Yeah. And deserves a shot just as much as John does for what all the things that John has done. So, for you to sit here and say pay me 12 million if I'm the company yeah, do I want to make this super fight? 100%. I know it's going to be a pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, put it at Dallas Stadium. You yeah, make your money back be, and then some. Yeah, you're going, to make, you're going to make everything back and then some. Absolutely. But over here, I've got Derek Lewis, mm-hmm. who is uh, a America's sound, sound bite waiting to happen. Houston born and bred. I can put this fight in Dallas, and the people will come in droves. To come see this fight versus him and Ngannou too. You'll have to beat people off with a stick to keep this, them out yeah. of there. This would be a way for Ngannou to get his second loss back put it and redeem uh, himself. Where the Texans play. Put it there. Yeah, yeah put it in Ar- Arlen Park or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. Put it wherever. Yeah. But you've got Houston's son, the one of two losses that Ngannou now has to avenge. And you got that storyline for you. You you got the fact that Derek Lewis is a soundbite waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to have him over on ESPN's first take you're, or whatever the fuck it's called in the morning show nowadays get up you're, get up yeah you're gonna have him on that show get up first take you're gonna well, have him shows, with yeah. you're gonna have him with svp you're gonna have Derek lewis all over the place and it's gonna he's gonna be a soundbite and everything he's gonna do all the things that Derek lewis does my balls are hot baby yeah he's gonna be saying that all the time it's gonna be on t-shirts on the flip side of it though you've got john sitting waiting and if Derek lewis is willing to get paid less why would you not just say, "All right, Derek, Ngannou's going to be ready September, you know, September 9th or whatever that event is in September." Mm-hmm. Derek Lewis is going to sign that line. Well, that's what I think they should do because if John is holding out, I mean, he just has to remember you did cost them a couple fights, sure, uh-huh. uh, big pay per view fights, and uh-huh. had them move an entire fucking event, yeah, in the twelfth hour. So you don't really get to call that shot. Yeah, you no. got a lot of slack. And, and, and he's, that, hey, listen, he doesn't draw. No, I, the, you're right. He doesn't. The last, I mean, his last pay-per-view uh, against Cruz was like not even a top 20 selling pay-per-view. What do you mean Reyes? Reyes, yeah. It wasn't even a top 20 event. You know, and his last fight was Santos, so I just went and watched that last night. That was, I mean, they were the crowd was booing. Yeah. No. Now, I know John has lived long enough to become the villain. Yes. And that is a detriment to his... Uh, that's uh, you know become a detriment to his character and his overall drawing power, mm-hmm. but at the same time he's done it to himself. Yeah. So I think for John right now, if you want to get back in the good graces of a the fans, b the company, I think you just take this fight at whatever the whatever the max deal that they're going to give you is, and you just fucking Agreed. delete the Twitter app. In in this convenient, uh, while doing a search for trying to find some John Jones pay per view buys, I found an article titled "How Does John Jones Pay Per View Buy History Compare with the Best Selling UFC Events of All Time?" So UFC 229, which was Habib versus Conor McGregor, 2.4 million buys. Uh, UFC 214, John Jones versus Cormier, two, 860,000. Oh, 860, God, McGregor versus Diaz, two, 1.65 million buys. Jones versus Cormier, one, 800,000 buys. Oh. McGregor versus Poirier, 1.6 million buys. Uh, Jones versus Gustafson, too, 700,000 buys. Oh. 
Uh, so yeah, John, you don't draw. Oh, he doesn't draw. I mean, that's so. Oh man. Yeah. Well, that's one thing about him. He's that's... people. People either tune in because they want to see you win or they want to pay to see you lose. Right. And and that's and, what Connor. And, I mean, listen, the Connor guy in the room. I'm paying to see him win. I'm fuck at this point. I'm just paying to see him fight. Like yeah. I'm just paying to fucking see him do something. July 10th. So, July. Yeah. I'm all. Oh, believe me. I hope it's for the McGregor belt. I hope that fucking thing happens, man. I'm here for that. But no, I mean, I pay to see Connor fight. But when John fights, I pay to see John fight, and I enjoy watching John fight. But I miss the John that went on and put fucking performances on, mm-hmm. not the John that stands around for five rounds, scoring points and not getting hit. Yeah, no, you I, know what I mean. I agree with you. And that's the last four performances since that first DC fight we've really seen out of him. And then he and then he plays off like, oh man, I, I really sucked. Oh, that, that was terrible. No shit, Sherlock. But that's why this Nganu fight, people are going to pay to watch Nganu put you in the ground. Yeah. And I, I fucking, I hate saying it because, again, I've said it how many times on the show? Oh, yeah. In this, in our area, in Broome County, in 607, John is either loved or vilified. Mm-hmm. But at the flip side of it, if you don't love him, you're a fucking hater. And that's what you have to deal with in this town. Like, that's just the the laws of our area. To put it to put it into uh nerdum talk, it's basically John Jones is a Snyder cut. Yeah. No, it's 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 like if you You're not wrong. If yeah. you love him, then you're you know, you're 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 fine. But if you vilify him in this town, you're a de- you know, you're a bad oh, guy. Oh yeah, yeah, because and, you're a pariah. Yeah, you're yeah. a pariah. And it's like, all right, so that's why you almost get put in this position of you have to cheer for John. And I do root for John because I want to see somebody successful come out of Broome County. It's Absolutely. fantastic. But at the flip side of it, the dude is a walking fuck-up, and you can't deny it. Yeah, no, it, it's good to see somebody come out of this area and have success. Yeah. It's, it's always good. I know a slightly smaller degree, there was a pitcher from our area who made it to the major leagues and pitched for Baltimore Orioles, Jim Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, Isaiah Kasavinsky played for the Seattle Seahawks, made it to the Super Bowl, what was it, 40 against the Steelers. Yeah. You know, there have been guys from the area who have made it successfully, but not to the degree that John has, which is great, which is awesome. When John first won that belt, I went... Hey, people I know online and were UFC fans. This guy's from my hometown, wearing the he tiger gra- jacket. He graduated. He graduated from my high school. My, one of the, my high school gym teachers walked out with him. That teacher got shit for it the next day, but that's another story, you know. But now it's like I don't even want to say he's from my area because of all the shit he's pulled. Well, that's the problem that he has. He's become a very polarizing character. I know we throw that word around a lot, but literally, no, he literally in for us. I mean, for uh, for our the area, world, yeah. he is polarizing. But for the when world? you get in this small ass community that we're in, it's almost that times a billion. Yeah, no, it's it's it, like I say. The easiest way to compare it, it is John Jones is a Snyder cut. Yeah, that is the easiest way to compare it if you're not from this area where we record from. But this is the question that John now has to answer: is big time. You are trying to call a shot that you don't have. You're not the big pay per view draw. There are certain people that can try drawing that. Brock Lesnar could. Fuck yeah. Conor McGregor can. Yep. And often dances on that needle, and Dana doesn't budge. I mean, I will give him credit for running that organization. He doesn't cater, at least in the public eye. Like right. When, when when things go public, Dana does not fold. You, yeah. you almost, you almost uh, you know, it's like and a lion backed into a corner. Do. Yeah, as, a, as an owner of a company, 100%. Yeah. And that's what Dana does. When you back him into a corner, he becomes very dangerous. Yes. And... The more that John does this, the more he's going to see Derek Lewis's name is going to be creeping up and trending and and on the upward tick. 
while his name's going to be kind of descending. And, and that's what he has to deal with now because yeah, he's and, cooled off. And the smartest thing Derek Lewis can do, just sit there and just shoot a message to Dana. Listen, tell me when, tell me well, when. Well, that's all he said. Because, I mean, he's been asked about this, and he said, listen, just UFC knows how to get hold of me. Like, he's playing this so smart. Yeah, Der- and Derek Ar- yeah, Derek already said that after the po- – he goes, yeah. yeah, I want shining guy. Uh, you know, I want the shot of the winner. I think I deserved it. Yeah. And that was after a performance where he even himself was like, hey, I wasn't in it, but when it comes time for the belt, I want a shot. Well, the so- one thing that you have to remember when Lewis and Ganu fought the first time, they both respected each other's hands too much. Mm-hmm. It was boring. It was a bad fight. I think this one, though – since the belt's on the line, it'd be a whole different story for both guys. No, this would be a totally. I yeah. mean, both and but the difference is both guys have really evolved. Yeah, even Derek Lewis, to his credit, you know, has developed some. Has wrestling. developed, yeah, has developed enough to where he can some defend takedowns. Yeah, yeah, he I, he can adequately defend takedowns, but his hands are even more dangerous than they were a year ago. Yeah, they're and, faster, they're sharper, and he doesn't take as many punches as he once did. And this is the issue that John Jones is now looking that people are surpassing him. Yeah. You're not the biggest name in MMA anymore. Well, it's no different than Connor. No, you take, exactly. You take a year off and so many things. And again, this is another thing. And Ganu's evolving, right? Mm-hmm. Cell, the cell reference, right? He's yeah. only getting better. Yeah. And the more that he fights, the stronger he gets. I mean, the guy's literally fucking cell. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. Like, you're not he, <laughs> watching BBZ. You're not <laughs> yeah, wrong. Yeah, I know. Like, and so you're sitting here and you're watching a guy who, when he fights somebody else, is evolving, picking up traits, getting better. John, you're sitting, you're watching, you haven't fought in a year. Your last fight against Reyes, controversial, could have potentially lost yeah. that fight. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, you know, so your last performance was not great while Nganu is only peaking. So this is a very dangerous game for you to play right now because the longer this gets, the longer it longer it takes, and the more that it looks like it is gonna be you two. So let's just say September doesn't you know, the fight doesn't happen. Now we're talking November December mm-hmm. and Ganu is only getting better is only prepping more is only more ready for you especially if that's the way the fight is going to look and then it's going to come octagon time and boom yeah it's going to be there before you know it and you're not going to be ready because you haven't fought now in almost a year and a half and this is the dilemma John has now painted himself into the corner for that he is playing chicken with the UFC and yeah. the UFC is not going to blink they never have they might dance around it a little bit, so I shouldn't say never, but it's very rare that they back down on a stance. But especially in John's case where, let's face it, there is a track record of him, unfortunately, screwing up pay-per-view schedules and, and cards right? because of boneheaded nonsense that he does. So for the UFC, I can understand why they said, hey, we're going to pay you. This is nothing to sneeze at. You're not, they, you're, they're never going to pay boxing money right. for a match. They, they just don't. That's just how MMA is. But... But it's also not going to draw boxing dollars. Exactly. There, there, it's it's a weird apples and oranges. I know it's all produce, but still. Right. It's a weird divide, but still people are getting paid. It's not to say that the main event guys are not getting paid. No, it's the it's the advertising dollars. It's everything that goes into boxing that you know is just because boxing the longevity that it has companies just associate themselves to it and dump money into it for whatever reason I don't know because I certainly don't watch it anymore um but you know in in the, in the MMA world it's just difficult to get that kind of money in to pay the fighters the way that they're paid in boxing right boxing is just it's a very unique thing. Like I still watch boxing when it's on, but there's very few fights that get me fired up to go spend money on. Right, but even those fights that don't get you excited, those fighters are still getting paid more than than MMA fighters, right. but it's because there's just more money in the sport. And there's more money and yeah, there's a lot of different factors that go on with it. Boxing is a tradition. Yeah. 
MMA is the ever-evolving sport, but when we have moments where the big fighters don't want to fight for various reasons, it does cast some doubt on the general public. Or we have fights that are stopped controversially mm-hmm. and not able to continue, eye pokes, knee strikes. Yeah. You know, it's like that's what makes it tough for investors to get in and say, all right, we're going to dump a buttload of money in because sometimes their big events don't pay out. Yeah, and that's a question that we're going to have to ask about John Jones because as we're recording, he still has not signed. He said, okay, you know, just give me my release, X, Y, and Z. The future is up in the air, but Francis Ngannou is still the head of the division. He will gladly take that fight with Derek Lewis. We might get that sooner than later. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're going to get it July 10th because can you only imagine they put Ngannou and McGregor on the same card? Dude, oh, oh, oh my God. I mean, no, could you imagine Connor, Derek Lewis, and Naganu on the same card. Yeah, that, Connor could fight the air, and people would still pay to see that kind of card. <laughs> uh huh. And that's what I said. And you know what? Don't think that Dana wouldn't make that card just to spite John. Don't think he wouldn't no, do that. Because Connor's not going to be the co-main event. <laughs> I mean, that's that's going to be why well, that won't happen. Well, that, I know, but you know, it's a weird precedent now because I wasn't going to get into it on the show. But, but hey, maybe Connor would because Connor and John's had their beef. So maybe John, if if Dana presented it to him with, hey, listen, we're doing this to to mess with John, Connor might say, all right, fuck it. He he might. I mean, it's a weird thing to do, especially now that uh, the. May 15th card, I believe, which Nate Diaz is now headlining against Leon Edwards. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, which is going to be the headliner, and the co-main is the lightweight title between Chandler and Oliveira. That shit just escalated so fast, too, because I was on Twitter, and then I just saw Connor go on a tweeting rampage and saw he was talking about Nate Diaz, so obviously look it up, and I'm like, Wait, when the fuck did this happen? When did we get ice cream? All yeah. of a sudden now Edwards is fighting you in the Oliveira uh Chandler fight, which I did know was in the making. Yeah. But now it has a set date. Yep. I mean, Dana's not playing around right now. And that's what I say. So for John, it's either accept what they offer. Shut up. Exactly. Because you know what? The sport will move on without you. So many headlines coming out of UFC two. Uh, 260. Jeez, man, we didn't even get to the Sean O'Malley stuff. We don't even need to. J- let's talk about John Jones. What is the future lie? Is he going to be the next one facing Francis Ngannou, or is Derek Lewis stepping up, or who do you think is going to be the next one to try taking a shot at the heavyweight king? Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of watching the same old awesome movies? Are B-movies more your style? Then the folks over at They Call This a Movie have you covered. Join us every Thursday as we review the worst of the worst in sci-fi, action, comedy, and more. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean at theycalledthisamovie.podbean.com. They called this a movie, testing the strength of friendships, one terrible movie at a time. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Time to start those one-shots, Pad. Got a couple things to talk about, first of which we're going to talk a little bit about sports. Of course, baseball starts tomorrow. Let's go. Baseball. Let's go, Yankees. Fuck the Houston Astros. I'm sorry, the asterisks. Uh, should be a lot of fun tomorrow. You got you got the, the Blue Jays are taking on the Yankees. You've got Detroit taking on uh, the Indians. Uh, you've got Boston taking on uh, Baltimore. You know, a lot of good matchups involved. Should be a lot of fun baseball all damn day. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, if I had to give a prediction, World Series Dodgers in yeah, why not? We haven't had it in a while. Dodgers Yankees. Uh, who wins? The fans win. Uh, switching over to some entertainment news. This one definitely caught me by surprise. Uh, it is being reported in an exclusive from Deadline that Netflix is nearing a $400 plus million deal to uh, produce and uh, put out the Knives Out 2 and 3 sequels. Uh, from Ryan Johnson, uh, who wrote the original, wrote and direct the original. He was is he's already written the sequels two and three. Uh, he's looking to start 
work on the sequel too here very shortly and Daniel Craig would return to reprise his role as Benoit Blanc uh, mm-hmm. so this definitely caught a lot of people by surprise uh, I guess there was a bit of a bidding war uh, between three streaming services um, Netflix Apple and Amazon with Netflix emerging victorious. So definitely huge news. I am super excited. If you have not seen Knives Out 1, you should. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Crazy the amount of money they're throwing around for that sequel, though, man. Oh, my that, God. Yeah, that, no, it's That insane. was nuts. They'll, they'll make it back, though, just with how well that first movie Well, did. I think that people are now seeing that with the HBO Max setup, right. you don't need to go to the box office. Like, it's, it's a weird thing, and I'm not right. encouraging it because – there's nothing like going to a movie theater to Absolutely. watch a to watch a movie. I'm sorry. No, I mean we got a pretty you know decent sized TV, and we just got a, a Google or a mini uh, um, iPod Home mm-hmm. kit. So I mean we got surround sound going, so we've got a quite a decent movie experience. But yeah. yeah, it's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. the, the popcorn, baby. I miss the popcorn. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, switching over to some Star Wars news, we got a very surprise out of left field casting announcement. For I, I knew you were talking about this. Bring it on, man. Let's go. For the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series, of course, returning to reprise his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, returning to his reprise his role as Darth Vader, maybe some back scenes as Anakin Skywalker. I don't know. Uh, Hayden Christensen. Uh, but some of the other folks that were announced for the show, uh, you have Moses In- Ingram, who is uh, going to be in the show. Uh, you might know her as playing Jolene in The Queen's Gambit, which was on Netflix. Okay. Great show. Uh, highly recommend that one. Uh, you've got Joel Edgerton, who you you all know the name, uh, but he's played a certain guy named Owen Lars. In episodes two and three of the films, hmm. uh, you've also got hmm. uh, Bonnie, uh, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Bonnie Piesi, who uh, you might not know the name, but she played a certain woman named Baru in episodes two and three of the prequels. So you've got Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru appearing in the show. Uh, that definitely of note. Uh, you've also got a woman by the name of Indria Varma. Uh, who was in movies such as Exodus, Gods and Kings, Rome, uh, Bride and Prejudice in 2004. So definitely uh, going to be exciting to see that. Uh, you've also got Rupert Friend uh, in the show. Uh, most notably, he was in the Hitman Agent 47 uh, 2015 film, Death of Stalin in 2017. Still got to see that. I, the, the trailer looked really funny. Hmm. Uh, and also was in Pride and Prejudice back in 2005. Uh, and then you've also got this one. Th- this one caught me by left field. I did not see this one coming. O'Shea Jackson Jr. is in it. Ice Cube's, oh, Ice Cube's kids in this show. Let's go. I was very excited about that one. Uh, and last but certainly not least, Sung Kang is in the movie. Yes, Han is in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Bring it on, man. Oh, so excited. Yeah, I was going to say, so your thoughts on the casting, obviously. Great casting. I, Owen, oh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, given the fact that Obi-Wan, presumably when this is taking place, he's on Tatooine. They're there. He's watching over Luke. Not a total surprise, but still cool to see them come back. I always like that because I know they did it with Rogue One where they brought in the woman who was like a background character in one of the prequel movies playing Mon Mothma. They brought her back for Rogue One because, hey, you're here. You're the right age. We don't have to do any sort of CGI gimmicks to make you look like Mon Mothma. You're literally Mon Mothma. I always enjoy when they do that, when they can bring back characters because they're like the right age or they don't really have to do anything. So it's going to be awesome to see. I genuinely don't know what they're going to do with this show, but the fact that you have Hayden Christensen returning is awesome. He plays a great Anakin Skywalker. I know he's got some terrible lines, but he's not responsible for the writing. Still, still very good. I'm excited to see him come back, and I cannot wait to see where they go with this. They tell you they got so much Star Wars stuff coming out. Bad Batch trailer, oh, too. Yeah, May 4th, and that's supposedly going to be like 70 minutes for the first episode for an animated show. God. 70 minutes, Coach. Goddamn. Are you ready? I 
I can't handle that. Four <laughs> hours was was just fine, but seventy minutes is too long. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, well, last but certainly not least, a new edition of Lord of the Rings is going to be coming out. Uh, the book, not the movie. Although, give me that goddamn unedited cut of of Lord of the Rings. Fucking eight and a half days. Release the Tolkien cut. Re- no, release the, <laughs> release the Peter Jackson cut. Fucking eight days. Let's go. Oh, God. Give it to me. Listen, he has said that there's a longer cut of, of Fellowship of the Ring and Lord of the Rings if anybody wants it. Yeah, hi. I want it. I'm out. I'm Fu- out. Fucking give it to me. Nope. Tap. Uh, but no, uh, a new edition of this reading from the article on IGN, a new edition of Lord of the Rings uh, is coming out, which will feature 30 sketches and illustrations created by the author J.R.R. Tolkien, not seen in previous editions of the book. This new release will be the first time that an edition of Lord of the Rings will feature this art since 1954. Uh, and even then, when Tolkien originally included the art with the book's first ever publication, it only featured two of his illustrations, uh, this as reported by The Guardian. Those two illustrations, The Doors of Durin and the inscription on Balin's tomb, will be included in this new HarperCollins uh, edition alongside 30 other sketches, illustrations, and maps. Uh, I can't verify. Those two uh, sketches they mentioned, so The Doors of Durin and the inscription on Balin's tomb, are still in the books. I got a box set of Hobbit plus the three uh Lord, uh, Lord of the Rings books in one little nice grouping box set. Mm. Those are still in there. I I don't know what the price is on this, but I'm gonna have to check this out. This sounds really cool. It does sound very interesting. And like I say, you just you're Mr. Lord of the Rings, so oh, yeah. if, if this is worth the time. We definitely gotta go check oh, that. Absolutely, out. Coach. Uh yeah. So I will start with a uh, little lacrosse news off the bat. Uh, the uh, PLL Chris Hogan was picked up today on waivers hey. from uh, the the Cannon LC team. So Chris Hogan will be invited to training camp. Obviously, still needing to make the active roster, but hey, good he, for him. Yeah, now he's got uh, a shot to at least do it. So hope uh, hopeful that he can uh, make the team legitimately. But you know, we'll see. Uh, the NBA trade trade deadline was last week. Uh, we obviously kind of previewed it a little bit. Unfortunately, the Knicks were a little bit gun shy. It was quiet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, the Lakers, the Lakers tried to pick me up to try and match uh, what the Nets were doing. Uh, it didn't last long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, however, the Knicks uh, mostly quiet. Uh, they did uh, make the promise to move uh, Austin Rivers on, and they were able to do that. He will be going to the OKC Thunder. Uh, the Knicks unfortunately gave up Ignis Braditskis out of Michigan, which I was upset for because. Uh, I was hopeful that he was going to be one of the second round late blooming blossoms mm. that, you know, they've been lucky enough to strike on like guys like Mitchell Robinson. Unfortunately, that will not pan out. The Knicks did, however, pick up Terrence, for- uh, Terrence Ferguson, Vincent Poirier, uh, and rights to Imar Pradzizic and two second round picks. Uh, both Terrence Ferguson and Vincent Poirier have been released. So they were waived after the trade deadline. So the Knicks basically dumped salary cap space, saved I think a million dollars going into next salary uh, next off season, and have more second round picks. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I know it's very depressing because I thought that was going to be a big for, move for Lonzo. Since we don't have a camera here, I'm doing the make it rain gesture. Yeah, yeah so we'll see uh, where that leads them. Um, and in the meantime, the Nets signed Thanos, uh, Darkseid, and Negan from The Walking Dead. Yeah, fuck what the Nets did. They didn't do shit. They still ain't going to be there. Yeah, um, I mean, so the Knicks obviously looking to be players in next uh, offseason. Um, so hopeful, a uh, little upset that they didn't make bigger moves with obviously a team that's good enough to make the playoffs. But, hey, we'll just strap it to Julian uh, Randall's back, Julius Randall's back and just let him carry us for 48 minutes a night going into the playoffs because, hey, Tom Thibodeau, you ain't sitting. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Uh, and then I, some other deals that were kind of a note, uh, the Clippers landed uh, Rajon Rondo, so apparently feeling like they needed another defensive-minded point guard to back up Patrick Beverly. Uh, so nothing there. Also trading away one of their best offensive pieces in Lou Williams. So yeah, surprised about that one. Weird, uh, weird there. Uh, JJ Redick got his wish to be removed from New Orleans uh, and cut a vicious promo today on a podcast. If you haven't seen that, go seek that out. Basically, verbally ripping the Pelicans organization to shreds, saying how he had wished to be moved the first month in the season that he was promised that it would happen. It did not. He was traded at the deadline. He asked to go to an East Coast team. They traded him to Dallas. So, J.J. Uh, Redick, unfortunately, not very happy. Uh, the Heat uh, landed Oladipo. Um, so, you know, adding more weapons to an already dangerous team. Uh, they also made another move for uh, Belagica out of Sacramento. So, the Heat only getting scarier uh, with more offensive weapons. And Aaron Gordon, probably, uh, arguably the biggest name traded, going from the Dallas uh, Orlando Magic to the Denver Nuggets. Overall, though, pretty quiet trade deadline. This just in the Brooklyn Nets signed to the anti-monitor. Yeah, yeah, and the Brooklyn Nets, obviously, they were able to strike a deal with Blake Griffin. I think that happened last week. Yep. Uh, and then they were able to uh, acquire the services of LaMarcus Aldridge, LaMarcus Aldridge who was bought out by uh, the San Antonio Spurs after the trade deadline. And i got to admit, Nets memes don't often make me laugh because it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But the one that was on Facebook of the scene, the portal scene from Endgame where it's, uh, Thanos is sitting there and, and it's LeBron's face, but then the you know the Avengers Assemble scene and it's all the players on like the Nets would be the, like the next starting roster mm-hmm. are the Avengers. I'm like, no, yeah, that's pretty much how it feels right now. Yeah, I would say something mean, but I don't want Kevin Durant to come after me in my DMs. So I'll I'm say, just gonna... I'll say, fuck Kevin Durant. Oh God! Oh, oh no, go. Pat! Oh no! No, but seriously, I mean, for a guy who didn't want to play with superstars, now kind of surrounded by him. So yeah, you can't really yeah, make that comment. Wrong. I mean, weird. I mean, weird. You left the team to join the one that beat you, and then obviously you couldn't handle being the second fiddle there. So and now you're the third fiddle. So now you're the third, weird. going on fourth probably because no, he's definitely still the third. Well, he's James still the third, but I'm just saying he's the twentieth wheel on an eighteen wheeler. <laughs> but it, it, with that whole setup in Brooklyn, like, listen, super teams rarely work out. I will say this. I love the moves that he did. Yeah. And oh, I, yeah. I, oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, I watched – I mean, obviously last year going into the, the bubble, I was kind of cheering for the Heat because Jimmy Butler has now become uh, my spirit animal. Yes. And um, then now seeing the Knicks uh, ascend into, you know, a, a bubble, a hinge playoff team was painful to watch that Knicks-Heat game the other night because, by God, it reminded me of the old days and it yeah. made me tear a little bit with just hard nose, scrappy teams – Hustling for loose balls, getting chippy in key moments. It was great. I, I, I mean, projecting wise, uh, looking down the road, it's very potential that the Knicks Heat might have a playoff series. I'm here for that. Which is dumb when you think about it. I mean, this Knicks team. I, I talked about it with my uh, buddy at work. I go, is it wild the fact that if Thibodeau, if the Knicks make the playoffs, Thibodeau has to be coach? He's of the coach year. of the year. He has to. He, he like, is. There's no way. Like, there's I, no I, way. It's not. I'm not even saying this is a homer pick. Right, like, like he has to be the fact that he made that chicken shit in the chicken salad. Yeah, it like listen, you got to give it to him, dude. You, I, you can't say otherwise. I'm si- I was sitting here, I'm like thinking, all right, well, if the Lakers, yeah, I mean, but they still, you know, all right, but I mean, obviously, if the Suns make the playoffs and and have a high seed, 
you know that there might I be could see, I could see for, Phoenix getting yeah, it. Yeah, for coaching like the year I would there. I, like I wouldn't object to Phoenix got it. Right, like, say that. that would make sense too. But I mean, with if, what? if Brooklyn gets it, Steve Nash gets it. Oh I'm my done. god, I would be pissed. Yeah, like of your first. Yeah, all right, your first time head coach. But dude, you're a first time head coach. Surrounded by an all star team. By surround, yeah, by the fucking monsters. Like yeah. you better be winning games. Yeah. Um. But no, seriously, I Thibodeau, I feel like has to be in at least consideration. R.J. Barrett is. I, I will say it for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, for a twenty year old kid, uh, his future is pretty bright, so he better wear some shades. I thought he was a bust. Yeah, I thought he was too. Uh, weird, weird, weird. Basketball weird. eyes. Basketball eyes will tell you he is, but stats and numbers wise will tell you he's playing pretty mm. damn well. So kind of awkward to argue against stats. Yeah, you know. But you know, some people do love to do that. You know, uh, talking you know <laughs> politics, but you know, life. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I'm just really hopeful. And then uh, a bit of uh, in my other flip side on the entertainment news, uh, the uh, the party, the party as they put it, uh, up, up, down, down. Mister One Xavier Woods uh, celebrating one year of playing Uno today. Oh, congratulations! Uh, yeah, I mean these guys had started doing it during COVID while they were in quarantine, you know, and uh, uh, you know, kind of wrestling was up in the air. Uh, so they just started uh, four guys, Tyler Breeze. Uh, Cesaro and Adam Cole just started playing Uno. I picked up on it in about week four. Uh, went back and watched the rest of it. Now, you know, my wife and I have a very fun Wednesday night where we do the show and we go home, have dinner, and watch Uno together. And they're very funny. Uh, if you don't watch it, I suggest the Up Up Down Down channel. It is great. Uh, a lot of interviews, a lot of insight into the wrestling business. Uh, Xavier Woods does a great job. Um, and the rest of the group does too. And uh, Superman. And Lois had their mid-season wrap-up, yes. I guess you can say. Well, part, yeah, first part, part wrap-up. First part wrap-up, uh, where we were left with um, the tweaker, twerker, I guess. I don't know what they're calling this kid. Uh, picking up uh, Superman's son and dumping him in the woods, knocking him unconscious, uh, unable to get to the uh, radio recorder to call dad. So up in the air as far as what's going on there. And uh, Superman, and we find out what Lex's, big deal was with Lois and his obsession mm-hmm. because in his world, he was married to Lois. Crazy way they did this so, show. So quite the twist was not prepared for that. I definitely knew that they were going to have some sort of relationship or he was mm-hmm. going to know that Lois was the key to Superman. Um, but very interesting to see that it was the uh, reverse where he was the one who was married to her. Yeah. So that will be a very interesting play out. Um, as far as his obsession with her and what that will lead to. And, um, yeah, and then it wrapped up on that cliffhanger, a great season preview to hold you, <laughs> hold hold you, you over May. May. Yeah, hold you over until May. So I'm very excited for that show to pick back up. Yeah, definitely. CW is making some moves. I know they did a casting for Impulse for The Flash. Uh, the actor escapes me right now as yeah. we're talking, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm lo- I'm loving seeing Bart Allen going to make his way to the CW show. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, CW has been making some quiet moves. I, d- I definitely have to say that. I the Flash, ah, I don't know. Like I I, I got to do a rewatch. I I, it's just for me. Like Aaron and I got behind on Flash, so we haven't caught back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just feels like it just held on kind of like Arrow a little too long. Well, you know, I know these shows like they they have so much room. As far as things go, but again, it's the 24 episode seasons. You're just you're pressed up against it, and it yeah. just makes it very difficult to have the sort of um, every episode matter type mm. feel. And that's kind of what Flash has felt like. Well, the problem that they did is they botched up the Rogues Gallery. I mean, we've talked about this at many lengths, yeah. and the fact that 
you don't have that compelling of a main villain. Mm-hmm. And, right. you, and you had like Abracadabra, which if you're not familiar with the Flash mythos, is a very well-known Flash villain, and you did another one and done with him. Like, I'm sorry, it, it's just, it doesn't pan out. Right, so, right. So, unfortunately, they got to do some work, but if they're following the blueprint Superman and Lois is doing, uh, it's going to be fun. Definitely did not have time to review Supergirl this week, so definitely I'll have something to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. So, CW and Stargirl is coming back in the in the fall, too, or in the summer, too. Man, there's a lot of stuff coming to CW. A lot of stuff happening. I was too busy, unfortunately, watching Invincible this week. Okay. So, now, are you both familiar with Invincible? Heard of it. Haven't seen it yet. I heard of it. Haven't seen it. <laughs> Okay, it's an image comic done by Robert Kirkman. It's on Amazon Prime. They did, they dropped the three uh, episodes, like how they usually do for their premieres. Uh, fantastic. Loved it. Borrowed uh, very much from the comic. Differed in a lot of different areas because it's basically the coming of age of a boy who is a son of basically a world Superman and coming in age of the world that he's now being a part of. And it is definitely not for kids. Uh, extremely violent. And, That's what I've heard. Yes, and it lives up to the hype, though. I, I gotta say, um, this was something very much worth watching. Episodes are pretty short. Uh, the premiere is about fifty minutes, and then you're roughly around the forty minute range for the rest of the three. So definitely something worth checking out, and definitely something to make sure you're saving on your players. Uh, going back to the WWE, there was a bit of uh, news that broke. Wrestling. Wrestling, because we got to talk some wrestling. we got to run the ropes a little bit. WWE has announced that NXT will be moving nights from Wednesday to Tuesday. Vince is scared. AEW won the war. Oh, I know. People were running <laughs> crazy with that Dude, nonsense. Uh, Hockey money talks more than wrestling money does. And yes. more importantly, uh, fuck you guys, you marks. <laughs> I'm so sick of it. Oh, my God. The after this went, the news went. I was just like, eh, right, goodbye." Some people. I, I do like. I did like the the couple of people I saw online that said if Vince gave a shit, this would have been over on Wednesday a long time ago. Oh you know, yeah, absolutely. I, I straight up. I there was people that you know were on our our follow list. Mm-hmm. They got unfollowed because I couldn't take the AW spewing garbage anymore. Like, listen, and WWE didn't run from shit. They got moved because hockey talks and ratings talk and hockey draws and they have Wednesday night hockey, baby. It's been a thing forever. And they Mm -hmm. had to move it to, to, uh, you know, allow the NHL to do their thing. Yeah. It's something that AEW fans are going to need to realize too, because hockey is eventually going to ESPN. Uh Yeah. I mean, and let's remember NXT is a developmental brand. Yeah. Uh, AEW Wednesday Dynamite is your main roster show. If you were to put Raw or SmackDown on those sh- on either of those shows on that night, it wouldn't even be close. It wouldn't even be a factor. I'm sorry. Until you can consistently draw a million a week on with, Dynamite. With, uh, in, in the initial thing, not with like the added in. Oh, well, we're going to see when it happens April 14th. Because if Dynamite does not hit a million unopposed, there's a problem. If Dynamite does not consistently hit a million viewers each week for the month of April, there is a very big problem. Same for those of you who just like wrestling. Well, this works for you because Impact is moving to Thursdays. Yeah. So there is now literally wrestling Monday through Friday. I mean, and let's face it, like, AEW is not drawing. <laughs> no. As well as, you know, I mean, I know 18 to 25 looks real great, but you keep putting uh, old WCW and WWE guys as your main headliners. Let's see where 18 to 35-year-olds are watching then. Exactly. Especially when the, those numbers are going up for Raw and SmackDown uh, the last couple of weeks. Funny how that works out. 
But it's going to be interesting to see when this all plays out. Obviously, it's coming off WrestleMania week, so NXT should have a big debut. And then where they go moving forward, I mean, hey, now you can watch both shows. Like, I usually have to uh, watch one on tape delay, so this kind of frees me up for some action. And we'll have to see. Like I said, the challenge is now thrown to AEW. Can you consistently do a million? We're going to have to kind of see it as we move forward, too. For more wrestling talk, though, obviously join us Thursdays on twitch.tv slash 607podcast for an episode of 607TWS where Rich from 3FN and I talk some wrestling and we deep dive into all subjects. So trust me, we're going to have a lot to say about that this week. And then let me close off here with a review we did for Parlay Points and definitely want to shout out everybody over at Valiant Comics. Shout out to Greg Katzman and the crew over there because we got retweeted for our... Uh, review of Shadow Man. Now, are both you gentlemen familiar with Shadow Man? No. No. Okay. So, I'm an old school Valiant comic fan. So, I do know who Shadow Man is. I do watch their youth Valiant page, YouTube page, though, and they do a great job over there with their character rundown. So, they filled me in a lot of things that I didn't know. So, kudos to you guys. Absolutely. The first issue is going to be dropping April 28th. So you can still make some time to go to your local comic shop and definitely talk about it. Uh, I will say this. We were lucky enough to get the first issue sent to us, and it is fantastic. If you have not picked up the story of Jack Boniface, you definitely need to check it out. It, It is a perfect balance of supernatural and super heroics. It's a great read to pick up. Uh, Cullen Bunn is writing it. John Davis Hunt is drawing it. Jordi Belair is on the colors. Clayton Cowles is on the letters. And Heather Antos is overseeing the project, too. It's a great comic. Like I say, it doesn't feel, for a character that's been around since the 90s, it doesn't feel old. It doesn't feel dated. It feels very fresh. Now, the whole thing about Jack is, I mean, obviously, he's like a family curse that has been passed down through generations involving him. So he has to balance the line between the dead and the living, and he gets a little powers going on uh, from the Shadow Loa. It is a very cool character. If you haven't seen very visually, it's impressive. And this run picks up right where it left off. They open up with a great reader's page that you can jump in. So if you're not sure about what it is, it gives you a one-on-one. So you can literally pick up the issue for the first time and understand what's going on. Davis Hunt's art is freaking fantastic on this. It doesn't feel too scary. It doesn't feel too dated. Fight scenes like I'm going to show you guys right here are very energetic. Oh, yeah. You can see that this this does not look like your typical horror comic, but it definitely teeters on that imagery. And like I said, the story, I don't want to even go spoiler about this, is really hitting the horror aspect. Bun does an amazing job giving that dark feel to the book. And like I say, for somebody that's read Shadow Man from the 90s and throughout his various incarnations, this was a great book to pick up. It definitely hits the ground running about the new direction they're taking the character. And the overall vibe is this is not your same old Shadow Man. And I have to say, if you're looking for something new to pick up at the comic shops, I would definitely go down there, put this in your pull list. This is a must-add. And moving forward, I can't wait to see what they're going to be doing with it. And there was a panel at WonderCon this past weekend virtually, so if you want to find even more about that, you definitely need to check it out. And like I said, April 28th, Shadow Man is dropping at your local comic shop, so you definitely need to go put that in your pull list ASAP. It is definitely worth picking up at the shops. So kudos to everybody there at Valiant, and thank you again for allowing us to review it, and hopefully we get the chance to do some more moving forward. So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Brian Wolf. He's our friend from Fair City Fire. He's doing some Patreon concerts every Wednesday on social media. Pad, where do I go to find out about him? OtroZeroParlayHour.com. Right on. You go over and check the music section. You can find out everything going on with Brian, everything going on with Shout at the Robots. They're another amazing band that's got a lot of stuff in tow for 2021. You can check out everything going on with Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, 
Floodlands, Yard Party, all the great musicians you hear here on the ODPH. You can also swing by the directory, check out Friends of the Show, Organizational Link Support, and Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups are in, and shout out to our friends over at 8122 Productions, Rich Ron, Mike C, and hashtag Big Natty Cool. He is still on Twitter, Coach. Dangerous. It is dangerous. It always is. But $1 gets you in the door, $3 gets you a comfy seat at the table, and you can have all the Dr. Derek you want if you sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash 8122productions. All of that, links to the blogs, links to the streaming, links to the TikTok, links to the T Public Store, and so much more can be found at ochoduroparlayer.com. That's all I got for this week. So for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Good night, and enjoy the movie, guys. Hey, thank you very much. For the one and only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm your host, Ken M. And as an editorial, Snyderverse fans, quit one-star bombing Godzilla vs. Kong. Y'all keep it up, guys. You stop that, coach. Don't listen to Ken. You stop that right now. Restore the universe. No. Restore the faith. You stop that right now. I won't do it until we get what we want. You stop that. You GameStop GameStop Warner Brothers. You keep doing what you're doing. No, you stop that, folks, right now. It's different studios. Give them two stars. You, know, you you give them more than that. I, I'm a, I'm very excited for this movie. We're going to go see it tonight. We'll probably have some live tweets going out from the movie Not theater. while you're in the movie not theater. While we're in, not. No, no, before okay. and after. No, of course yeah. not. Of course All right. Not. No, I do not encourage getting a camera out Good. or live tweeting. during. No, you don't get any spoilers. You're not going to find out who won. You're going to just find out a very quick yay or I'm just not even going to tweet about it. I'll let you. It's, it's the Fast and Furious of monster movies. We're not there for the plot. We're yeah. there to watch them destroy shit. I got my I, my uh, Aaron and my son are watching it right now, so I'll find out what it's like when I get home. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm super excited about, and to see it on a big screen, I can't wait to do because theaters are open back here finally, and uh, more are slowly open by May. That's yeah, that's hey. the big announcement. So we're definitely excited to get back to the theaters and check this out and see who is going to be throwing down on the showdown here. And definitely shout out to our good friends over at Crossover Collision. They did the uh, Godzilla vs. Kong episode this past week with our good friend Rich. Nice. So definitely something worth checking out. So we got to get going to the movie theaters. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the o- or Ocho Duro Parley Hour. We'll see you next time. 